Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. If there's never going to be a consequence to talking big, then why does talking big even mean anything? Do you follow me here? We're jam-packed. We're high atop a spirited downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Lake Kick is live Sunday night, September 24th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're going to mute that. I am clad not in my usual white garb because I, I have lost everything, essentially, due to a rental car slash uh, flight mix-up and mishap. So I have my backup blacks on from the road, and we're going to do the show in that tonight. If you're listening on podcast, just pretend everything is normal. But it's not normal because we got a lot to talk about. It was a jam-packed week four. I, 24 hours ago, was on the field at Notre Dame Stadium. Ohio State drives and at the end of regulation puts one on the board. I've got a whole lot to say about that. I got a whole lot to say about what Landing and company did out there in Oregon at the expense of Colorado. FSU took down Clemson yesterday. Ole Miss goes down at Alabama. I got all kinds of week four thoughts. It's Sunday night. It's reaction night. But I've also got some, some of those overarching points. Some of the stuff that maybe we sometimes wait until the spring or summer months to talk about. I think we have to get into that tonight. There's, there's some things really going off the rails right now in our sport. It is casual season. They are amongst us. And we got to do our best to combat that. I got some sneaky undefeated teams. Like, you know Syracuse is undefeated right now? You know who Clemson plays this week, by the way? I got our location, our destination for week five on the Once Upon a Saturday Tour. We've had back-to-back walk-off games that we've witnessed, by the way. So we got all kinds of stuff. I got four early best bets for us. We've got a jam-packed show. I've just gone full coffee because I haven't been to sleep since the game last night because of said mishaps in travel. So yeah, those of you who normally worry about my health and well-being, and I tell you, don't worry about it. Tonight's the night to worry about it. One night only, tonight's the night to worry about it. They're watching us in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Nazareth, Texas, Portland, Oregon, Valley, Alabama. I cannot stress in strong enough terms, if you're not following on Instagram, and it's actually still up because it was a late game last night, it stays up for 24 hours, at Late Kick Josh. I had some Hall of Fame shots last night from the sideline in that Ohio State-Notre Dame game, not to mention all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff, Friday night lines. You miss a whole lot if you're not following on the gram. At Late Kick Josh. That's the first and last time I'll ever call it the gram. Let's dive in. Let's dive in, friends. There there are about four or five different places I could start tonight, but I'll start at the game that we were at last night. I was there, and it was a privilege to witness Ohio State 17, Notre Dame 14. You know... um, 
I got a bunch of friends in the South because I grew up in the South. Just a little sidebar here as we open it. Go to Notre Dame one time. A lot of you hate them. That's okay. It's okay to go up there if you're a hater. Just go up there and just experience that place. Totally unique to anything else in college football. Uh, what I love, I always notice this when I go in their stadium. There is not a shred of advertisement anywhere. It is as pristine as the day they built that place. They've done a phenomenal job of like mixing in the modern game day atmosphere with tradition and history. So I'm not running point on their PR. I'm just saying awesome, awesome, awesome. Colin a little bit later is going to show you some of the shots that we took from inside that place before it opened to the public. Amazing. So a lot of times I've noticed, um, some amongst us make final conclusions in an ongoing game, which is always a mistake. Mima used to warn me about that even when I was a wee JP. Do not make final conclusions. Don't make these definitive statements in an ongoing game. Yesterday, for example, had my phone on. I'm looking down. Ohio State's up 10-0, and it's, it's just all she wrote for Notre Dame. And then all of a sudden, Notre Dame responds, and they take the lead, and all of a sudden, I had a dude literally start the Fire Ryan Day hashtag, or at least try and start it with me. I bookmarked it. Conveniently, when they went on to win this game, I came back to call him out, and it had been deleted. What a privilege, by the way. What a privileged existence that must be to just say anything you want to say with the ability to delete it if it turns out to be incorrect. Coaches don't get to do that, by the way. Ryan Day did not say that in his press conference last night, but he probably should have. Also, final conclusions to an ongoing season. A lot of folks have been drawing that. What did we talk about for about the past two weeks as we dive into this game a little bit? Ohio State wins by three. They were favored by three. The little the, the scaling, the getting to week three, week four, week five, and some teams with really good to elite rosters finding a way to start scaling their performance. Ohio State, maybe they did it in this game. Maybe, maybe Bama did it in the second half yesterday. Uh, maybe Georgia will do it this Saturday. Like Maybe some of these teams with a really, really high-level collection of talent, maybe it just takes a few weeks. But at least they do possess the ability. Ohio State, just give you an idea of the kind of role they're on right now. They have defeated a top 10 team now for the 10th straight season. That's a decade to you and I. I um, thought about on the flight home this morning how I should address these Ryan Day comments because it's all you guys wanted to talk about. Let me show you something right quick, okay? Colin, stay on the key shot. I've got a helpful exercise for us all. I would like you to find the difference between these two pictures. One of these is uh, Ryan Day in the playoff against Georgia, and one of these is Ryan Day last night against Notre Dame. And it's the same guy. He's been the exact same guy the entire time. Can you believe that? The same guy could win a game, lose a game, because balls bounce really funny ways, and it's a game that's played on the margins when you play high-level competition anyway. I say that because I have a couple of buddies in particular who wanted to fire the dude in my left hand and praised the dude in my right hand last night, and it's the same guy. It's the same thing. Kirby Smart ironically coached that Georgia team you saw Ohio State fall to uh, late last year or early this year whenever that bowl game was played. Kirby dealt with that for a long time. Fire him, fire him. He's not going to win the big one. He can't get over the hump. Oh, my goodness, he just got over the hump. He's the GOAT. He surpassed Nick Saban. What you, he's the same guy. What are you talking about? So Ohio State wins this game. And I actually want to address what Ryan Day said afterwards before I even dive into the game, because I do think it's very pertinent. So Ryan Day is really fired up after this game. It was not a surprise to me. I talked to their staff when they walked in the stadium yesterday before they kind of opened the gates to the public, and they said, man, some of the stuff that was said this week, he heard it. 
He heard it, and he's been on one like we've rarely seen him on one. Now, Ryan Day's pretty fiery behind the scenes. You talk to him off the record, he's pretty fiery. But he's, um, you know who he reminded me of? I, I went all the way back to high school. In ninth grade, we had a bus driver named Miss Long down in Harris County. Shout out, Miss Long. And um, she was very stoic, but you knew not to mess with her. But she never raised her voice, or at least we never heard her raise her voice. We just knew she meant business. And then one day, there was this dude, next neighborhood over, Tim. He decides to test her. And he does it one day, and she gets on him. But he does it the next day, and it's, it's 6 a.m., like people are halfway asleep on the bus. And she slams on the brakes. She throws it in park and just loses it on the entire bus. We're terrified. We have no clue what's happening. We always thought it may be bottled up deep down inside of her, but we had never seen it. Um, people did not mess with Miss Long the rest of the year. And I'm not necessarily saying Ryan Day is my high school bus driver. I'm just telling you, I was happy when 10th grade came along and I was able to get a driver's license because that day, my perception of what I could and couldn't get away with around Miss Long changed. And last night, when they won that game <laughs> and Ryan Day decides to go full Attitude Era WWF-style promo on the world targeting Lou Holtz, I didn't really see it as him targeting Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz said some things last week, but it might as well have been anyone. Because all Lou Holtz was was the temporary face of some longstanding criticism. People have criticized Ohio State's toughness for a little while. People have criticized their mental resolve for a little while. And it's really just an indirect or a direct shot at Ryan Day. And so it's pretty obvious he's heard that stuff. Now, when Ryan Day said what he said last night, I never took it or I don't take it to this point as that's a dude who it turns out has relied on external factors this entire time for motivation. I actually don't think that's the way he's wired. What I do think he's is human. And I do think that at some point you can't ignore that stuff anymore. And he was just real last night. It was kind of like he temporarily got cut open and the real him bled out. The guy that they see Sunday through Friday, you actually got to see yesterday. Now, if I were him, I couldn't care less if you like it or not. Uh, as Meemaw once said, do not coach to please your enemies. I was standing outside their locker room as that stadium was emptying, and I heard what it was like in there. I don't think a single player was turned off or will be turned off by his comments. I don't think a single one of those guys aren't willing to go to the cliff and over the cliff for him and will have that impacted by what they think he sounded like in referencing Lou Holtz and his comments or how, how antenna-eared he appeared to be last week. That's who he's accountable to. His locker room, his organization, that's who he's accountable to. And so I listened to it, and I, look, I stood, I stood in the back of his press conference last night, just ear-to-ear -ear smile on my face because I kind of like to see it publicly. And I also like that as a guy who has previously had versions of Ohio State that felt like they had to score 45 to win some of these big games. They scored 17, and they won on the road against, to that point, a top-10 offense last night. That's the story. We, we, got the, we got the score at the very end. Yes, we do have that. We got Kyle McCord kind of coming of age. Yes, we have that. You got a really good defense there. Really good defense. And I know you could pick apart this and that. That's a really good defense. And what you saw was you saw a fight at the line of scrimmage, you saw hard-nosed defense being needed to win a game and Ohio State being the team that checked those boxes more thoroughly. And that's why, afterwards, you had a guy really go public and take issue with criticisms that people have made of his program that he, don't feel, that he has not felt are valid 
Um, I, I thought one led to the other. I thought that they were very connected. There's the yeah, but crowd too. The yeah, but crowd is yeah, but mm, they, they still struggled to run outside of that one long run. Uh, that's accurate. Well, Kyle McCord, his play is still a little up and down. Accurate. Well, they, they had suspect play calling. What did they call a toss sweep down near the goal line? They had, they had 10 points in four red zone trips. All these things are accurate. You just described football at the highest level. That's what you just described. It is not Xbox. Whenever y'all get that game back, that's the way that game will work when they give it back to you. That is not the way real life football works. It's a testament when you don't when you don't have it clicking for you. When Ohio State's clicking, they'll beat anyone they play. It's when they don't click. Uh, that, that's been a loss to Michigan in the past couple of years when they don't click. Well, they didn't click on all cylinders last night. I was in there. That place was really, really jacked. It was a hard place to play. And Notre Dame had a shot to deliver knockout blows. They didn't. They didn't. That's football. I'm immensely appreciative when these programs schedule these big it's an out-of-conference game for Ohio State. It's just a game for Notre Dame. I'm really appreciative because, man, they could have, all due respect, they could have both been playing Akron yesterday, and we would have seen nothing, and we would have learned nothing. Instead, we got to see it. We got to see both of them tested. One of them came out on top, could just as easily have been Notre Dame. They're good enough. Notre Dame's good enough. I, I was not around them postgame last night, but I imagine some of the talk will be, well, now Marcus Freeman's got to get over the hump. Some of the same stuff they've said about Ryan Day, they'll probably start to say it about him. And I'm not saying they're not going to say it about Ryan Day, but last game-winning touchdown at home they gave up, the last one that Notre Dame gave up at home. You know which one it was? It was it was 05. It was USC. It was when the grass was about that high off the ground. It was the bush push. And I not only remember the room in my childhood home I was in, I remember where I was standing in the room when I watched that. And to think all these years later, all that's changed is the playing surface of the field because otherwise we're coming right down to the wire again. I could not believe. I think it was fourth and 19, third and 19. McCord makes that pass in the fourth quarter, makes another one down there to the goal line. You look on my Instagram story right now, it's coming right in your frame. Unbelievable. The, just the overall aura of this game was pretty, pretty special. And I get to go to a hand-picked game every week. But this was pretty amazing. But I told you guys at Big Ten Media Days, uh, Ohio State felt different than any team I had been around at Big Ten Media Days or SEC. And they kind of played like it last night. And I know sometimes that's kind of anecdotal after the fact stuff. And I'm not telling you it's not here. I'm just saying that's where my mind was. They, they walked in Big Ten media days in Indianapolis like they had been briefly taken out of a military camp to put on a suit and come talk for a few hours. But they knew they were going right back to military camp. And it's kind of the way they walked in the building last night. It's the way they handled themselves in postgame. It's just a, it's a locked in organization. That doesn't guarantee you're going to win. It probably maximizes your potential to win, but I'm, I'm excited to see where the team goes uh, because they're still vulnerable. You know, Colin, did you show their schedule already? Yeah, there you go. So they're, they're, they've got a game against Penn State in a month, and then they go to Wisconsin, and they've got at Michigan at the end of the year. And just you don't know because if you're not ripping people to shreds offensively, you're going to have a lower margin for error approach to life. And you could have randomly a game at Purdue on October 14th that you have no business being close in, be a little closer than anticipated. But man, that was a big win for Ohio State last night. Like I called it a program definer. In many ways, I think it is. 
Now, some of you are quick to note, how can that be a program-defining win for a team that's played for a championship recently? They've won the Big Ten. They've been in the playoff recently. The reason I'm saying it's a program-definer is because the program looks different now than it did then. They just won a game last night in a way that they never would have had a prayer of winning a game in the fashion of a couple of years ago. Like, when is the last time Ohio State in a big game against a legit offense was going to hang 17 and get the win? That doesn't happen in years past. So this is a program definer. And in a lot of ways, it's the most complimentary style of ball that we've seen Ryan Day teams play with. Because I'll tell you this, like I told you in week one, and I'm going to stick with it, I'd a whole lot rather than be flexing defensively early in the year and me just rolling the dice and taking a blind chance that a Ryan Day team will get it figured out offensively. I'd a whole lot rather be in that boat than them needing to score 50 because they're giving up 45 every week. So that's where I think we are now. Unbelievable. Colin, do you have that footage, by the way? So I I got in the stadium yesterday before it opened. I grew up in Fortson, Georgia. This place right here, if you're watching on podcast, just picture a screensaver. That is unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. Touchdown Jesus over there. They just regilded the Golden Dome. And I know that those helmets and that Golden Dome look kind of shiny on TV. You ought to see that in person. I don't really think that translates very well on TV. Even with the 14K def, Bradley and I always talk about frame rates. Even with the frame rates the way they are these days, it just doesn't translate. Go to a game there if you can. It's going to be pricey. It is worth it because we believe in buying memories around here. Lease the fun, buy the memory. Let's move on. I, I had an accident here, one of many today, and I accidentally turned my computer off, so we may briefly get some sound. No, we don't. Okay, so I appreciate all you guys being tuned in live. I feel like Travis Hunter while we're playing a Colorado game. I'm just online here during my own show. Um, for those of you who know, you know, and those of you who don't, don't worry about it. So, I have got in my hand a headline. <clears throat> I'm, I'm pausing here because I'm contemplating whether I want to out the source. You just take a sip of coffee and we'll out the source. Colin, I want you to start the video here. This is a problem. This is a headline from Sports Illustrated. Maybe you've heard of that outlet. And it says, the college football world, that's you, that's me, the college football world was stunned by Oregon's blowout win over Colorado. A three-touchdown favorite won a football game handedly. And you were stunned. I was stunned. We weren't stunned. No, we weren't. This is the Dion tax. Those of you who thought I sounded like an idiot last week when I introduced you to the Dion tax were coming in droves to me yesterday in the DMs and saying, wait a second, you were right about this whole Dion tax. The word hater, the word overrated, overhyped, disrespect, I think we need to hit timeout on the use of every one of these words until, as a collective, we learn the definitions of these words. Because a lot of you are throwing out the word hater to describe things that are not hate at all. If I do not root for the same thing you root for, that is not hate. That's just called competition. That's just called entertainment. So, against the backdrop of all this, we had a football game. Oregon, as predicted, rolls Colorado 42-6. to It shouldn't have been close. It wasn't close. The same things win in this game that have always won. Now, there are different ways to dress it up. 
But if you're going to get dominated and overwhelmed at the line of scrimmage to the degree Colorado did yesterday, you will lose 10 times out of 10. There's really no fluctuation there. It's, it's quite beautiful in the brutal simplicity of it all. Colorado never had a shot in this game. They never would have a shot in this game. That includes with Travis Hunter inserted into the lineup. Now, I need to pause and I need to let you know, because if you're new to our show, it may sound like I'm coming at it from an anti-Buffs point of view. I'm not at all. I'm a massive fan of what Dion's done. What I'm not a massive fan of is this group of folks in my profession, I try not to be one, but there, there's this group of folks, this little cabal, if you will, of people who know that it's in their best financial interest to generate hype. And that's okay, because we profit off that here as well. I've done a ton of Dion videos. But the difference is, there's real money to be made in pumping enough air into a balloon that it pops, and then making fun of the balloon for popping, because you benefit going and coming. You benefit both ways. You see how that works? I overinflate the expectation level for a team. I overhype a team because I have a massive platform to do it. Then they go bust based on my falsely inflated expectation for them. And then I call them a bust and I call them fraudulent instead of referring to myself as a fraud. I saw this all over the country yesterday and it angers me because there's no room for a nuance-based conversation. The nuance-based conversation should sound something like this. Oregon's a top 10 team. Colorado has no business competing with them this year. Even as the season started off in an unexpected win against TCU and Nebraska, there still was coming a time where they were badly outmanned at the line of scrimmage, and this was never going to be a competitive game. It wasn't, and it wouldn't be if they played it again next week or the next week or the next week. But what happened, you saw Dan Lanning get real fired up about it. What happened is uh, there was a lot of talk coming from Dion's camp. I'm not saying they don't run their mouth out there. I never mind it. As long as you're going to play folks on the field, I don't mind. You say whatever you want to. I think a lot of the animosity and a lot of the, the wild, just like casual, out-of-this-world takes yesterday were from drive-bys who don't really know anything about this sport, but they know Deion Sanders, and so they just started to run their mouths, a.k.a. the Deion tax, the prime tax, if you will. And then others are just people... Just people who want to generate controversy because they don't know anything about football, but they do know this stuff sells. They know that sells, and so they can win in that market. There were padlock stats everywhere in this game. Padlock stats all over the place. Oregon had more first downs than Colorado had total yards in the first half. That is a padlock stat. Shador Sanders had 159 yards passing. Now, knowing the style of ball they play at Colorado, we knew Shador had to go off. He had to absolutely go off, and that's not going off because they were not going to run the ball effectively. And Oregon had touchdowns on six of their first seven drives. Those were the padlock stats. If I tell you that Friday, you probably don't even need to watch this game. But I don't want to say I told you so because that's played. That's old. But again, I know we get a lot of new traffic on the Colorado videos. So I just want to, I want to tell you, you saw a lot of Stupid things said yesterday. You probably heard a lot of stupid things. I hope you didn't participate in it on either side of this. But Colin, let's dial it up. And just for the sake of memory, let's go back to last week. I don't know when it's going to happen, whether it's this week against Oregon or next week against USC. But whenever someone does get a good piece of Colorado, you know what's coming. It's going to be so dumb. Some of the conversation is going to be so stupid. You're going to have a bunch of folks saying, I told you so. 
about Colorado losing a football game when they were supposed to lose, what was the count, nine of them or ten of them, according to Vegas? Uh, yeah, yeah, shocker if they do lose Saturday. They, they lost to a top-ten team, shocker. And here we are. Colorado lost to a top-ten team, shocker. Uh, no, actually, I think the word was stunning in the headline. Fraudulent, that's a word I actually saw yesterday by an esteemed member of the college football media to describe Colorado. Overrated and overhyped, I saw a ton. Um, we call this the recalibration of expectation on this show. I just described it to you. It is people who have really no other ability than to create controversy, and they get to define who you are. Like, that's the entire way that this world works in college football, up to and including ranking systems. That's why I stay away from rankings, and I only do power ratings. They rank you wherever they feel like ranking you, and then when you don't live up to their expectation, they get to call you the failure. What a foolproof system that is. How does anyone ever get fired? How does anyone ever lose their job in this profession? I don't know. So Dan Lanning went nuclear yesterday. Before the game, during the game, after the game, he went nuclear. And I told you guys in March, and I reiterated it in summer and in fall camp, I knew a lot of coaches didn't really care for Deion Sanders. It didn't bother me because I like Deion Sanders, but if I was a coach, maybe I'd feel a different way about him. This is not a Taylor Swift song. It is not a Disney movie. You don't just get to arrange things in a way that makes you feel good. This is competition at the highest level. These folks are after each other's throat. It's always that way behind the scenes. Dion's a lot more high profile, so when someone just publicly outs themselves as sort of having animosity and, and no love lost for the other side, maybe it catches your eye and ear a lot more because it pertains to Dion. But dude, Dan Lanning yesterday, when he goes off in that pregame speech and then they start blasting it all over the country, he wasn't saying anything several dozen other coaches don't feel right now. Now, here's the difference. Some people try and inject race into that, and I've dodged it, and I'll continue to dodge it because I think largely it's nonsense. I think there's probably a small sliver of that conversation that is fueled by people who just don't like Deion Sanders because of the color of his skin. I think there is a huge, like 95% chunk of that pie of people who don't like him who don't like him, if they don't, for reasons that have nothing to do with the color of his skin. I, I had someone tell me the other day, they said, Josh, you know why I don't like Deion Sanders? I said, why is that? Because he reminds me of Johnny Manziel. And I said, do tell, although I knew where they were going with that. Little anecdote there. But, it, you know, it is possible to just have a guy who possesses characteristics you don't like. That is, that is possible. But in the coaching industry, in the coaching industry, when you see what Dion's doing, and then you know you're going to face him. And I, I'm, I'm in my hotel Friday night, and I'm watching Landing on SportsCenter, and he gets asked like seven questions about Dion. I said, oh, no. Oh, no. And then Saturday, there he is. It is like someone pulled the cord on Dan Landing's back, and they let that thing go. And finally, you, you kind of heard to Dan Landing, some folks behind the scenes, no. Um, that, that's him. That's him. He's been really good up to this point in his career of handling himself in a way that is aesthetically pleasing from a strict PR perspective. But I'm not a fan of it. I'm a fan of raw. I'm a fan of you giving me whoever you are. Same reason I love Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is not produced 
as we would say in our business, at all. You just get Deion Sanders. There's very little filter at all. I'd love it if every coach was like that because I don't get offended by anything. So I don't really care what anyone says as long, and this is the condition, as long as the folks you talk about, you have to play. As long as they're on your schedule, I, like I don't want to hear Sam Pittman's thoughts on Deion Sanders right now because they're not going to play. But I, I have no problem hearing Deion's thoughts on landing, landing's thoughts on Deion. I got no problem with it. I kind of have no problem with any of it. This, no, one got, no one got hurt yesterday by those words. Everybody's okay. Deion Sanders didn't seem fractionally as outraged about it as other people who have nothing to do with it did. It's kind of like, kind of like a couple of weeks ago or last week when they played Colorado State. There, there were folks calling for the, the Colorado State safety to lose a scholarship, and Dion steps to the podium and says, no, he made a football play. He made an error in judgment. He got flagged for it. We forgive him. Travis Hunter forgives him. We should move on. No, get him. Why are you more outraged than he is? Same thing yesterday. Football game happened. Uh, Colorado got splattered. Deion Sanders said, we got to learn from it. We got to get back to work. Dan Lanning was all fired up. That's it. That's competition. That's what it is. And I'm looking over here on this, on this eye, Josh, and I got folks fired up like they had skin in the game. You don't have more skin in the game than either of them do. So I don't know what Dan Lanning will sound like Monday at his press conference. I wouldn't be apologetic for anything. I'd do the same thing Ryan Day does. I'd walk in my locker room, and if those dudes were receptive to my message, I couldn't care less what anyone thinks outside my locker room. Uh, burn the bridge. Burn the bridge. Some of these folks who you kind of seek uh, affirmation from, you don't need. You don't need. At the end of the day, an upset sports writer or an upset television commentary or host, it's just that. It's an upset writer or an upset host. They have nothing to do with whether you win or lose a game. As for the Pac-12 right now, it's, it's insane. It's competitive out there. The season is long. We're not even in October yet. We're not even, we're not even through September yet. And we, it feels like the Colorado story has already gone 57 different directions. But we got, we got Utah, who I'll talk about later, in the thick of it. We got Southern Cal. We got Oregon, Washington. Washington State kind of stunned me last night. I'll talk about them later too. UCLA, I think, will still make some noise. Oregon State is in this thing. It is such a deep conference right now. And I wonder if in a month and a half some teams have separated themselves or if it still just looks that competitively balanced because the odds right now to win that conference, we still got four teams plus 600 or better. And that's USC, Oregon, Washington, and Utah. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing conference to watch right now. So that's how I feel about that currently. Like I, I also have learned this. I have learned it's kind of impossible to talk about Colorado or Deion Sanders and expect everyone to actually listen to what you said because it's not going to happen. People are going to hear about uh, two or three words into your first sentence and then they're just going to start typing. So I expect that in the comment section. And quite frankly, maybe I even welcome it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Academy Sports and Outdoors welcomes you. You go in there and it's, it's almost like, it's almost welcome, welcome to college football. Welcome to Academy. And... They got everything you need as the season's transition right now. Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for all your outdoor sporting goods needs. You got your grilling. You got your camping. You got your kayaking. Eventually, winter's going to get here. You got your winter clothing. You got everything that you need. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com is there for you. And more and more, I get those receipts sent to me. I don't publicize every chalice of supremacy we send out, by the way. Sometimes I just send them out at random. Someone sends me, um, you know, an Academy receipt where they purchased a brand new Yeti or Igloo cooler. And here you go. Here's a chalice. It's not a guarantee, but it's a good shot. Academy Sports and Outdoors makes this show free of charge to you. And so while Academy probably could not go to Chicago, Illinois and get the keys to my apartment right now for me, where I could have my white T-shirt to wear, short of that, they could probably come through with anything else. And I'll probably get a text from my academy rep saying, forget your keys. We could have just gotten you a T-shirt from our store. Thus the beauty of having, having academy as your partner. All right, let's roll on in the show. Uh, just sipping hardcore coffee here. The chalice is mainly decorative tonight because the liquid in this chalice, while it looks, it looks strong, it's not strong enough. We just got to go black coffee right now. Got a lot more show to go. Um, whew. I got to give a shout out to Ryan Harris. Ryan Harris uh, played at Notre Dame, played in the NFL, does radio right now, does all sorts of different things. The dude should just run the hospitality industry in this country because he treated us so well up at Notre Dame yesterday. Any tailgate we wanted, any food, any drink we wanted, went over to the athlete's first bus and watched the game I'm about to talk about go down. So just boom, hat tip, Ryan Harris and company. FSU 31 Clemson 24. It actually happened. Mike Norvell and the Knowles actually went in there and they got the win. And am I sensing? And I've been on the road, okay? Maybe a little foggy right now mentally, so you tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I'm sensing a little recalibration of expectation with Florida State. Jesse, Colin, yes or no? Because I tend to remember just, just back in preview magazine season, people said, man, they'll probably lose to LSU. Now, certainly they'll if they, if they lose to LSU, maybe they'll beat Clemson or maybe they'll lose to Clemson. They're going to lose at least one of those games. They'll be an underdog in both of those games. Well, as it turns out, they weren't a dog in both of those games. And as it turns out, they won both of those games. And here we are. And they're 4-0. And I heard an alarming amount of, yeah, but they only ran it for 22 yards. Yeah, but Florida State didn't really deserve to win that game. In Florida State, man, they got lucky. What are you talking about? So Florida State's the best team in the ACC right now. They were, look, I think they're better than Clemson. Uh, Clemson could win this game five times out of ten yesterday. It's a coin flip game. Dabo in his post game was right about that. Uh, Dabo expressed some other sentiments I'll talk about in a second. But Florida State's first lead in this game was in overtime. 
That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, listen to these numbers. These are, these are what we call faux padlock stats, pad not stats. These would fool you. If I told you Friday that Florida State was going to be 4 of 13 on third downs, it's not good. They're going to be outgained by over 115 yards. Doesn't sound great. 1.1 yards per carry sack adjusted? That can't work. Clemson, 25 to 16, first down advantage? How did they win? They threw it deep. That's how they won. I had Ryan McGrady, a.k.a. Stats and Info, go look up how many times they threw the ball physically over 20 yards downfield. They threw that thing downfield 11 times yesterday. felt like 100. They completed, what, four of them, Jesse? I can't remember what it was. Anyway, the threat was there all day. That's a career high. They, they have never thrown, Travis Hunter has never thrown the ball in a game that far downfield that many times. You want a padlock stat, though? I, I gave you a bunch of fake padlock stats. What I actually have and what ended up winning this game is a padlock sot. Colin, roll it. Yeah. It's all about the ball. Um, 36 points off of turnovers. Just process that in four games. And all of last year was 38. That's it. That's how they won. Turnovers. Points off turnovers. That's a pretty wild stat, by the way. Clemson already at the amount of points they gave up off turnovers an entire season last year through the first four weeks. Yeah. How do you prevent that? You make sure the game's out of reach. That's unrealistic in games where you're this evenly matched. I know. This is the first time Clemson has lost back-to-back -back road or back-to-back -back home conference games since 2010. That's a long time ago. They've been dominant. Obviously, they've been dominant in conference play. So I took it upon myself to listen to Dabo postgame. And he said, in response to a question about whether this was a statement about the, the future of the ACC, he said, this is not a referendum. I don't even know what that means. Two things. I think Dabo Swinney knows what referendum means. And number two... I know what he's trying to say. The point he made was, what? So now we don't win it one year? I think they've won seven or eight in a row. So now finally we don't win it one year and it's a referendum? No, no. If I were to say it, that wouldn't be my point. My point going into the game has been a lot more broad in nature. Frankly, Clemson could have won this thing by three, and I'd still have questions about their approach. So I've been kind of careful with the way I've handled this because I got so much respect for what he's done there. And I got respect for someone who has a way of doing things that works and he adheres to it. I've got respect for that. Um, my personal view, as I've told you many times before, is they are, they're simply voluntarily hamstringing themselves, handcuffing themselves when it comes to talent acquisition. Now, what I'm not telling you is I'm not telling you the transfer portal decided this game. It did, though. Because Florida State has the players they have because of the portal. That's the part no one ever thinks about. Everyone, when you say Clemson's costing themselves because of the portal, they only look at it as a one-way street. They only ask you, well, what player from the portal can you prove they would have gotten that would have won this game yesterday? I can pick about four of them that if Florida State didn't have from the portal, probably would have made this game go the other way. That's the point. It's not just you sitting still on the portal. It's the other guys using the portal. Like, 
That's if, if I got promised that they wouldn't use it, I wouldn't care if I use it or not. In fact, if I'm Dabo Swinney and you can promise me my competition won't use the portal, I'd much rather not use it. I'd much rather go recruit and, and home grow my talent. Yes, that's a perfect world. No, we don't live in one anymore. And by the way, now that we've got this result out of the way, what's happening in the ACC? Florida State looks to be for real. I don't just mean this year. I mean, like as a program, they look to be for real. Clemson's not going to fade into the abyss by any stretch. I don't think that's going to happen. I just, I just think that there's some work to be done there. And that's like the, the most generic statement. I was just doing that because I had something in my teeth. I think I got it out. Okay, we're good. Miami is the enigma. Because Miami's blowing people out right now, but it was Temple. So they really, you know, they, they've played A&M. And then since then, we haven't seen them. They played Bethune-Cookman. They played Temple. I am very excited to see the meat of conference play uh, present itself. North Carolina, I'm going to talk about them later. But, man, Clemson, I, I think they're out of the playoff picture. I think they are. I, don't, I want to be so careful with that because in a season of chaos, I think we're going to have a two-loss team in the playoff. I'll throw that out there. So maybe it's Clemson, maybe it's not. I just They may not be done losing either. I don't think they're done losing. So it's okay. It's okay. Like, like Dabo was talking about yesterday, and I agree with him. I agree with him in theory. You, you don't write someone off after this many years of success when they finally have the down year. He is absolutely right about that. But he also followed it up by saying when he's bringing in true freshmen, he said, hey, these guys will come in here and we'll be right back to where we were and they'll have another couple of championships in their future. I don't think it's that clear cut. Certainly that's how I would recruit. I'm not disagreeing with him there. Be as boisterous and as prideful and as, as positive as you want to be. But the days of uh, Clemson as currently constructed running roughshod over that conference are over. That doesn't mean they can't dominate. It just means the way they've dominated is going to be a thing of the past because there's a new way to win. And until they take advantage of it and then learn to be ahead of the curve on it and then learn to use it to dominate, you're going to have stuff happen like happened yesterday. That's the long and short of it. That's not that hard to figure out in theory. The, the difficult part is, are you going to change anything about your practices? Let's move it on. Customary sip from this, this very impoverished-looking cup of coffee. For an impoverished-looking individual tonight, I'm wearing black. I have not showered since last night's game. I have not showered. Management did invite me over to his house, and for that I will give him credit. It just, I don't know if you've ever been invited to their home before where you live, but it always feels like there may be a string attached somewhere. You never see it. It's never, it's never visible to the naked eye, so I'm suspicious of this. I'm appreciative on the surface, but I'm suspicious beneath the surface. We'll see. Maybe we'll take a poll on Twitter later whether I should spend the night at management's house. Probably, probably a live stream would result from that at some point. Hey, Alabama beat Ole Miss yesterday. Alabama won a conference game they covered. Now here's the question. In this 24-10 win, did we see the ignition switch turn? Did we see the ignition point? <laughs> Baby steps here with Alabama. Baby steps. I'll say this. This is a big point of contention in Alabama circles right now. Everyone swears they know what did and didn't happen last week at USF. I am just going to ask you, for those, and I'm going to let you draw your own conclusion. 
For those of you who watched Alabama play USF, and those of you who also watched the second half of this game, can you honestly tell me those look like the same two teams from an effort standpoint? Because I can't. They look like totally different teams. I'm going to leave it there. You can draw your own conclusion. You see who started at quarterback in this game. They didn't play flawless. They will not play flawless all year. Their, their goal, as is the goal with any team, is to maximize their potential right now. And I'm, I'm up in the Notre Dame press box yesterday, and they look horrific offensively in the first half. And I was telling someone I was talking to because they were saying, man, this has got to be it for Alabama. Like They're going to lose four or five games. And I said, that's the current trajectory they're on, yes, indicates they've got multiple losses coming. I said, you cannot ever punt on these talented teams, these really talented teams, until they are actually in the ground and buried. Do not punt on them. You can have doubt. You know, we all got doubt. We've all had some doubt about Alabama this year, but I'm telling you, I've seen it too many times. I've seen too many times where it's like, it's like the undertaker. These talented teams just, woof, they just sit up from, from what appeared to be dead on arrival. And all of a sudden you start to feel a little rhythm and you start to see defense. Well, defense has been making plays for them all year, but all of a sudden you start to see, Oh, there's a first down. Oh, there's another first down, man. Remember when that used to just be the norm and then you get a little flow, you get a little mojo about yourself, and all of a sudden you're texting your buddy saying, dude, this looks like a different team the second half of this game. And then it carries over to the next week, and then the next week, and all of a sudden, a month down the road, you beat a team comfortably, and you text that same buddy and say, where was this team in week two? Where was this team in week one? So what that's not is a guarantee Alabama will ever fit that description. What it is is a reminder of the past and what's happened many times. As long as teams haven't mailed it in and they've got the ability, they've got the talent level, it's never impossible, even when it seems very unlikely. Second half yesterday, something clicked for them. Maybe it was a one-week thing. Maybe it was a 30-minute of one-week thing. But they held Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss to the lowest scoring output they've had in a conference game since he's been there. Defense is playing well. Dallas Turner looks like he's playing at about as high a level as any defender they've had in quite a while. That includes 31 last year. Dallas Turner's playing outside his mind right now. So I've I got a statement that I, I think we've all said or thought, and it sounds something like this. The Alabama team we saw against Texas and the Alabama team we saw last week against South Florida isn't going to win anything of note. Well, that's true. That's true. What that forgets is there's no guarantee that Bama team's going to be the one that shows up every week. Same with Ohio State. The, the, the Ohio State team we saw against Indiana wouldn't what? They wouldn't have beaten Notre Dame last night, right? Well, luckily, a different Ohio State showed up. Luckily, a different Bama showed up yesterday. Isn't it magic? Isn't it crazy how that all of a sudden happens, especially when conference play arrives? So now they're in conference play. And it's not really a whole lot of time to work on stuff now. You just kind of got what you got. I'm not writing them off yet. Not writing them off yet. Team is still capable of a lot of things. And let me remind you, you've, you've kind of become conditioned during the Tua and Mac Jones and, and Bryce Young era. You've, you've kind of become conditioned to think, well, they're, they're not really capable of anything unless they're scoring 40 a game. Well, that's because defense has been off standard the last few years for them, too. If their defense is playing like it is right now, 
even against Texas, man. They had Texas in a quagmire until they kept giving the ball up second half, and Texas finally got enough opportunities to put some points on the board. If their defense keeps playing like this, they don't need 40 a game. It's a, it's a tight way to play football, but they used to be masters at it. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. I saw a stat floating around earlier today. I wish I could attribute it. I cannot remember. I remember the number, uh, sadly. So if this is your stat, this is a great stat. Well, not if you're Lane Kiffin, but whoever found this. He is 1-19 versus Power 5 teams that finish with nine wins or more. So the ones that go on to be good, in other words, he is 1-19 versus those teams. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying like hot seat or anything like that. Nothing close to that. I'm saying out of all the time he's been there, What's the win you think of when you think of Lane Kiffin? Like, what's the big win? Because I don't think he has it. I don't think he has that, that career-defining, like, landmark win at Ole Miss, unless I'm just plainly forgetting one. I don't really think he has it. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen later this year. He just doesn't have it yet. Um, and I, I was kind of surprised when I saw that because I just, in my mind, I picture it differently. But I don't know. Maybe my mind has failed me today. They're watching us in Calhoun, Nebraska, Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, actually. They're watching us in Hilliard, Ohio, and Las Cruces, New Mexico. I told y'all we had representation in New Mexico. Let me put the chapstick on right quick, because even though I don't have my keys, I cannot access my apartment or my vehicle. At least I got my trusty chapstick. Uh, if you're watching, by the way, live, it would, do our, it would do us a world of good around here if you would just click subscribe. Subscribe to the channel, like the video. I am not kidding you when I said I was walking off the field at Notre Dame Stadium last night. I was walking towards the tunnel, Ohio State's tunnel. They're, they're walking off the field there. Everyone's going crazy. And I don't know which one of you it was, but whichever one of you was standing in the crowd yelling at the top of your lungs, Ohio State number one in the JP poll, I thank you. I thank you. Because a bunch of folks around you heard it, and I got a bunch of smiles and comments about that later outside of their locker room. So I toast from me to you. I can't guarantee you anything because the model has a mind of its own, as we have established. Uh, but I, I got a pretty good feeling that Ohio State maintains number one status. However, we live in a world where Washington looks like they could devour anything and anyone at any given time right now. So who knows? By the way, say that out loud. Washington, University of, scariest-looking team in the country right now. Yep, there you go. Welcome to 2023. I got several more games to get to in about, oh, I'd say between five and ten minutes from now. I'm going to announce where we're headed for the Week 5 tour stop on the Once Upon a Saturday tour. We've had back-to-back -back weeks of last play, walk-off-style scores. And it's been fascinating. And I'm going to probably blow your mind with where we're going this week. You will not expect that one. Texas A&M 27 and Auburn 10. This was not the most aesthetically pleasing game to watch yesterday, but I have good news. You don't have to watch it. Boom, boom, boom. That is at least three padlock stats in this game. Get a load of this. I'm going to assume, unless you're a fan of each team, you did not watch this yesterday. Um... Auburn was 9 of 23 for 56 yards passing. If I told you that Friday, you don't bother turning this game on. 
Uh, so that that's the Auburn passing game yesterday, and I want you to keep in mind, okay? DJ Durkin and and the Ole Miss or the not the Ole Miss, the A and M defense. Hats off, hats off, hats off. Tyler Van Dyke threw for three seventy four and five touchdowns on the same secondary, so they can be had, just not by Auburn. Which was funny. I was over on Texags Friday. Uh, Billy Lucci did not know it, but I was I was snooping around there, and some of you guys were a little bit concerned with what Hugh Freeze and Auburn would do to your secondary. Did you guys not know they didn't have a single receiver over 200 yards so far this year? I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. And apparently DJ Durkin didn't either. <laughs> he said, someone's going to get me this year, but Hugh Freeze? Nah. Uh, here is the second padlock stat from this game. A&M got seven sacks on Auburn. They got 15 tackles for loss. That's their most since 2017 in a game. Oh, padlock stat number three. This poor paper. A&M's defense forced a punt or a turnover on downs on 10 of 11 drives for Auburn. And the bloody truth of it all is on the screen right now, or was if you're watching on YouTube. So Connor Wegman, in the midst of all this, Connor Wegman, at quarterback, goes down for A&M, and Max Johnson came in, and they were fine. They were fine. Uh, Johnson was 7 of 11, 123 through the air, threw for two touchdowns, and you know what? I think that's going to get glossed over nationally. Johnson didn't hit the portal, and AM didn't have to panic as a result. And you know what? Because AM was favored and because they won, most people don't even know Wigman got hurt yesterday. And it looks like he's going to be okay. I'm waiting for, you know, more official word out of College Station. It looks like he's going to be okay. But just think about that now. Because if he goes down and Auburn wins this game yesterday, no one forgives them just because their quarterback went down. You would have had a bunch of folks sitting on the front porch yelling, well, that's why you recruit depth. That's why you got to have a second-string quarterback worth the flip. Well, they do. And therefore, you didn't even know he went down because most of you, be real with yourselves, you didn't watch this game. You just saw the final score. Credit Texas A&M for being prepared, not panicking. Defense took care of business. Auburn's defense can keep them around in games. Like, Auburn's defense is not the problem here, but they got, they got a couple of decisions to make at Auburn. Number one, they got to make a decision on quarterback because I'm kind of ready to say Peyton Thorne's not it or not exclusively it, and I don't know that Robbie Ashford is. I don't know that the other kid is. I don't know that. That's no man. You still got a long, long road ahead of you in SEC play. And the other thing is it was kind of curious listening to Hugh Freeze in the postgame question play calling. And I wonder, because they got Georgia coming up this week. So I wonder, you know my theory on this. You know my theory that when, when everything seems to go wrong with a team whose head coach specializes on the side of the ball that it went wrong on, they're very dangerous the next week. Because what happens is sometimes they'll just turn everything upside down. And sometimes you'll have a quarterback change out of the blue. You'll have a lot of schematic change. You'll have play calling change. And Oh, that is throwing stuff against a wall. Sometimes it sticks, though. And all of a sudden, you got a totally different version of that team. And George is like a 17-point favorite next week. And all of a sudden, it's just, well, this team was lifeless against A&M. Now it's a dogfight against Georgia. You know that happens all the time. So I expect a lot of shuffling on the planes this week. We'll see what it means. All right, let's move on. You know what? Let's announce. Let's announce the Week 5 destination for the Once Upon a Saturday Tour. Yesterday was tough. 
Now, I ended up at the right game, obviously. Notre Dame Stadium, Ohio State, Notre Dame. But, man, we could have been at Clemson, Florida State, just as easily would have seen an overtime classic down there. And would have gotten home earlier. So where are we going this week? Well, I had, I've got some angles on this one. Um, Colin, go ahead and show them. And then I'll tell you, we're going to Georgia-Auburn. We're actually going to Auburn this Saturday. One week after they looked like they looked yesterday, we're going to be down on the plains at Jordan-Harris Stadium. It's the first time we've seen Georgia this year. I don't know how many times we will see them. And I'm just looking at the game. The line is 17. I'm playing a hunch on this one. Could be wrong. Haven't been wrong so far this year very often on picking these games. I just think a different kind of effort is in the works this Saturday. And therefore, think maybe a little bit tighter game is in the works. Georgia going on the road for the first time. Just really interested to see how this one plays out. So we'll be down there looking forward to it. I uh, obviously haven't been to Auburn this year. Haven't been to a Hugh Freeze Auburn game yet. So looking very forward to that one. Remember, as of, as of like now, the brand new Once Upon a Saturday shirt for this week is on sale in the PateStateMaterial.com store. Jordan-Hare Stadium, September, what is that, 30th, Colin? Yeah, the year of our Lord, 2023. It'll be there for one week, and then it'll be gone. I don't know that we'll be at Auburn again this year. So that's probably, probably, the only Auburn shirt that we'll have on the tour stop this year. And of course, of course, we have the Georgia and Auburn-themed Pate State My State t-shirts. So all that's available, PateStateMaterial.com. I can tell you the tour shirt will fly off the shelves because those are two of our biggest viewer bases and even the Utah shirt flew off the shelves and we've never even done a show in Utah before. Appreciate you guys for that. Best, best pictures to get are the pictures of you guys wearing our merch at a stadium. That's amazing. We love that. Whew, did you know? Here's a fun fact. One, two, three, four, five. I've got six more games to talk to you about and I've got five more teams to talk to you about. I'm going to do it pretty fast. But we're not even close to done. And I got four best bets for you. So we are completely emptying the barrel tonight. Mm. And the coffee cup. Now, where should we start? You know, we had Cole Kublik on the show Thursday. And a lot of you harassed him. Which, in a general sense, I'm fine with. But you got specific on your harassment. And you said he was an idiot. Just a, a lumbering, babbling fool, that Cole Kublik for suggesting that Arkansas would keep it close with LSU. Which brings me to my next point. Arkansas almost beat LSU yesterday. The final was 34-31. Fourth consecutive three-point final in this series. How about that stat, courtesy of producer Jesse? I think the Mississippi State outcome kind of inflated the perception of LSU right now. LSU is not a great team right now. LSU has been handled by Florida State. They played an FCS opponent. And then they went to Mississippi State against a team that has proven to be very bad and did exactly what they should against a bad team. The problem is, dude, everybody just assumed all was right with the world after that Mississippi State game. And in reality, it, it's not. They've still got the same leaky secondary they had in week one. Uh, they've still got some of the same issues they had. And they can win with them. Obviously, they did yesterday. But... This was a problem game for them. They could not pull away from Arkansas. Arkansas had three red zone trips and scored nine points off of them. So as much as, as, much as LSU's secondary sprung a leak, at least they tightened up a little bit 
when they got down in the red zone. But, I mean, it's, you're going to have games like this this year. It just is the way it is. So LSU wins. What about Washington State, though? Dude, this is the one that caught me by surprise. I don't do best bets. Like, I don't elevate one of our bets over another one. But if I did, Oregon State minus three or minus two and a half is one I felt really good about. And we were just so wrong. There's no, there's no like, explaining this one away. We were just wrong. I was standing on the... I was, I was on the sideline last night at the Ohio State-Notre Dame game, in case you didn't hear me say that 14 other times. I was talking to some of our friends from NBC, who legally I'm not supposed to acknowledge the existence of, but I was talking to them anyway. And one of them leaned over and said, look at this. And I looked, and it was Cam Ward's first half stats in this game. That's the quarterback for Washington State, for those unfamiliar. 19 of 20. 293 yards and three touchdowns in the first half against Oregon State. The humanity. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I actually said this had crowbar and the bicycle spokes potential. And instead, Washington State was on a motorcycle the whole time. So they went at 38-35. I am so sorry. I am I've, I've never looked at this camera, Colin. I've never looked at it before. I apologize to Coach Jake Dicker because I should, have, I should have believed, and I did not believe. I doubted. I doubted Washington State. I heartily picked against them. I thought, frankly, they'd be a little exposed, and instead they did the exposing. It's great in life when people expect you to be the exposed, and instead you're the exposer. Sometimes it can land you behind bars, other times it can land you in the top 15 of a random poll or a ranking on Monday. And uh, thankfully for Washington State, they're the latter. It's yet another team to add to the board in what is an insanely deep Pac-12 right now. Speaking of which, speaking of whiffing in the Pac-12, I've always claimed to be Pac-12 Pate. I've never claimed to be able to pick games particularly well out here. But those of you who follow the show know there is one team that I've never been right on, and it is Utah. And the streak continues. I am now roughly 0 for 743, picking Utah games. They won yesterday. Why? Because I thought they wouldn't. I have direct control over the outcome of Utah games. You guys better hope I keep picking against you is all I can say. 14 to 7 was the final here. 1.88 yards per carry for UCLA. That's a padlock stat. I thought it was going to be Dante Moore's coming out party. Not this week. Maybe in the future. Not this week. UCLA's defense, I, f- I feel like it's almost a wasted effort uh, because I, I kind of got what I, I halfway got what I thought I'd get here. I thought UCLA's defense would dial it up, and they did. Like I said, uh, you would think, you would think 14, that'd be good enough to win. Nope, you hung seven. Turnovers were the name of the game here. So again, as is usually the case, I pick against you on Thursday, and then I come here and I apologize on Sunday. Uh, Utah, to their credit, Utah fans are not toxic about this. There's just a good-hearted, jovial back and forth between us now. They know I'm doing them a favor every time I pick against them. Circle of life stuff. Texas, um, well, yeah, it's a splattering. They splattered Baylor. It's a splattering, 38-6. to six. Texas held Baylor to 6 of 23 on third and fourth downs. Ugh, gross. Five sacks, yup. Eight tackles for loss, yup. Texas has Kansas this week. And then Oklahoma. 
Kansas going to make any noise? We'll see. They're undefeated right now. How about North Carolina? North Carolina was trailing Pitt last I looked last night. And then I'm about to drive back to Chicago, and lo and behold, they've, they've pulled away. 41-28 to the final. Florida State's been running some really good interference for North Carolina. It's because of, North, it's because of Florida State right now that most of you are unaware North Carolina's undefeated. And they still are now. Pitt opened hot in this game, too. Pitt landed one right across North Carolina's jaw. They had 152 yards in the first quarter, I think. And then all of a sudden, it ground to a halt. The best, I think, for North Carolina is still ahead. You watch them play, and then they win, but you find yourself saying, wow, but, but they had this, this, and this, and this go wrong. And it's not quarterback. Quarterback's great for them, but man, it feels like that team can get better. So maybe North Carolina's one of those scale teams. But friends, that's, that is child's play compared to what I have to talk to you about now. Um, I'm not really sure. Well, I have poor posture right now, so the first thing I'm going to do is straighten up. I'm not really sure how to tell you this, but Penn State beat Iowa 31 to nothing yesterday. And it was as Sarah McLaughlin a special as you could ever have. Colin, dial it up. I present to you the Iowa drive chart yesterday. Punt. Fumble. Punt. 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 Fumble. Punt. Fumble. This is going to sound like a typo, but it's not. Penn State ran 97 plays in this one. Iowa ran 33. They ran 21 more plays then Iowa had yards in the game. Let me repeat. Penn State ran 21 more plays than Iowa had yards. They outgained them by 321. Drew Aller looked good. Penn State is good. Run game still searching. It doesn't matter. They body bagged Iowa. This is, this is what happens when you guys run it up. It cost me money when you play Western Michigan the week before. This is what happens. Four first downs. 76 total yards for Iowa, one of nine on third down, four turnovers. And there's Penn State just chugging merrily along. This is a violent drive chart. This is, where is it? It's over here. Yeah, that, that, this, kids, this is not how you play offense. If you're listening on podcasts, just picture something violent. And that's pretty much what it looks like. Quickly, I needed to go through this list with you guys right quick. Um, I don't know if you're aware we got a lot of undefeated teams in this sport, and I don't think many people are paying attention. You know, Syracuse of the Atlantic Coast Conference, Syracuse is undefeated right now. Did you catch the game against Army or Purdue or Western Michigan or Colgate? Don't lose to toothpaste. Everybody's losing to rice these days, so we got to update. Don't lose to toothpaste. Well, Syracuse didn't. They beat them 65 to nothing. Syracuse is 4-0. They get Clemson this week. Then they go to North Carolina. Then they go to Florida State. Go one of three, guys. Just go one of three there, and I'd be happy with you. Missouri, undefeated. Missouri Tigers, undefeated right now. Now, you watched them. Well, we did because we were at the game. We saw them beat Kansas State. But they, they squeaked by Middle Tennessee the week before. They squeaked by Memphis yesterday. I'm interested to see where this goes from here. They go to Vanderbilt this week, and then they got LSU at home. 
remember last year? Remember how they were two and four in one possession games? And already they've got three of them under their belt now, and they're three and oh in those interesting times in the loot. Did you know that when they play in St. Louis, like they did yesterday, they call it Mizzou in the Lou? Because I didn't. I was last week years old when I learned that. Kentucky, sound the blue alarm. They're still undefeated. They've played Ball State. They've played Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and at Vanderbilt. All double-digit wins, so they've, they've done what they should. They've been brutally efficient. <clears throat> it gets real in a hurry for Kentucky starting this week. They play Florida. Then they go to Georgia. Then they've got Missouri in there. There's a bye week before they play Tennessee, Mississippi State, Alabama, South Carolina, and Louisville. Back to back to back to back to back to close the year. So with Kentucky, they've, they've built up ahead of steam, but who didn't expect them to be 4-0 at this point? Pretty much everyone did. It just looks a lot better once you've got the wins secured. But now they got Florida this week. Big game. We gave consideration to going there for the Once Upon a Saturday Tour. Big game. Kansas is undefeated. Kansas plays Texas this week. Kansas is a 17-point dog to Texas this week. Jalen Daniels, that quarterback, 75% completion percentage so far this year. So he's tearing it up. He's healthy. They've beat Missouri State, Illinois, Nevada, Brigham Young. Great, wonderful, good, grand. But now we got Texas, and then we got UCF the next week. So conference play is upon us. And last but not least, because we talked about this team a number of times in the summer. Sorry, had something in my throat. Louisville is also undefeated. And Louisville's the the sneaky, the sneaky team that we circled in the preseason. Because I told you, they don't play Notre. Well, they don't play Clemson. They don't play Florida State. They don't play North Carolina. They dodge all the big boys in conference play. Now, that's the bad that's the good news. The bad news, maybe, is it turns out Duke's pretty good. It turns out Miami's pretty good. You do have to play them. Also, you've got Notre Dame coming up in a few weeks, and I don't think Notre Dame's going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, it gets, it gets tougher, but Louisville's just going to sneak around all year. I'm pretty convinced that they're going to be there in the end, and people are going to say, well, Louisville, where'd you come from? Oh, we've just been here the whole time. Let's talk about some best bets. Uh, so the Ramen Noodle Express started 4-0 yesterday, and we proceeded to lose every one of the late games, and a couple of them I'm a little sideways about because I'm not quite sure how it happened because the last time I looked at halftime, I felt good. Anyway, we are still over 500 for the year. I would like to get some distance on that number this week. And so we are jumping on four of these numbers. If you followed on Instagram, at Lake Kick Josh, you already got them. Iowa State plus 21. Oh, oh, hold on. Hold on just a second now. Hung 34? Hung 34 on Oklahoma State yesterday in a win. So we're back. Like, Iowa State's all the way back. You think Bama's back. Iowa State is back. They're playing Oklahoma this week. Plus 21, we'll take it. Next up, Fresno is laying 22 and a half. We'll take that. I believe they're playing Nevada. Uh, Michigan's going on the road this week. Michigan is giving Nebraska 18 and a half. We'll take every one of the points for the home team there. And last but not least, San Diego State goes on the road to Air Force, and San Diego State is plus 10 and a half, and we're taking that. Aztecs plus 10 and a half, Huskers plus 18 and a half, Bulldogs of Fresno State minus 22 and a half, and we'll take the Cyclones of Iowa State plus 21. Guys, it has been a challenging but very rewarding 24 hours 
And so I've got to go um, try and find some lost things that I hope are found for me, uh, namely vehicle, keys, etc. But as for this show, I appreciate you always making it possible. We're always loaded on a Sunday night. It's a, it's a rush to get back here and put it together. But when we got Director Colin and Producer Jesse and Bradley, the associate in the house, magical things can happen. Appreciate you guys so much. Back here, same time, Tuesday night. Until then, take care, get you a good night's sleep, get ready for the week, and God bless. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.